The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to Shaken and Stirred. I am Nigel Barker in New York, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Astor in England. Tom, how are you? Very well, thanks, Nigel. You know, we're just, as everyone else right now, not going far, not doing much, but sitting tight and watching events unfold. And making yourself a cocktail, no doubt. And making myself a cocktail. Well, that's what it is all about. This is Shaken and Stirred. We have a great guest on today, an amazing actress. I'm rather excited. I have been trying to get her on the show for some time. She's not easy to, to nail down. You know, she's in, in high demand at all times and always working on a new project. So we're going to get to her in just a moment. But before we get there, a little bit of booze news, perhaps? Why not, Tom? Booze news. All right, so what is happening in the world of booze? And I found this kind of interesting. There is a study that has literally just come out that talks about the bitter sensation and people who enjoy bitter sensations. Now, as far as things have gone in the past, they have always thought that people who liked bitter things, whether it's a bitter fruit, like a grapefruit or bitter alcohols, right? People who had the, the sort of the, the, the sensibility for bitter would actually not drink as much bitter. But what they've discovered is, in fact, people who have the, the ability to taste bitter actually go for it and enjoy it. And what's interesting about that is, is that they've also linked the sense and the taste of, of bitterness to people who take more risks in life, right? These are risk takers. These are people who seek novel and powerful sensations by all accounts. Now, they have linked it to people because the study actually tested people who drank pale ale, bitter IPAs. And if you think about it, it's not just that, but a lot of people who drink cocktails add bitters to their drink. You, Tom, love a Campari. You know, I know you like a bit of Pernod and, you know, uh, Aperol, and these are all bitters. And for me, I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm a risk taker. You know, I look at you, I, I immediately feel powerful sensation, Tom. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, I know. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you're taking a big risk tonight with that T-shirt. Well, uh, well, look at me, I know, I've decided to... Tom, by the way, as usual, is wearing his pyjama shirt and a little vest, which is his go-to. And by the way, he's been wearing that vest for the better part of 15 years now. Um, I think that's when his mother gave him his last one. I, on the other hand, have decided to shake things up and, you know, and stir things up, because that's what we do on the Shaken and Stirred show. And I'm wearing a black Calvin Klein T-shirt, which is rather, you know, sort of sticking to my body and showing off my pecs that I've been working so hard to uh, obtain during the quarantine on my rowing machine. Which, by the way, you know, if you all follow me, on Nigel Barker on Instagram, by the way, which and don't forget shaken and stirred on Instagram. You can follow all the exciting things that we do, not just making cocktails, which by the way, we release a new great cocktail and the how-to every week on shaken and stirred. So check that out. But we also look at Tom's exercise routine, which was a lot of fun. Well, I get to look at you in a black t-shirt, which is very aging, I think. A very Asian. Aging. 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 Oh, aging is it. Yes. Just to let this one fly right now. But let's move on swiftly. What are you drinking, old boy? I am drinking a limoncello spritz. And the reason I'm doing that, I'm not going to go into the history too much. <laughs> what is the reason you're doing it? That sounds revolting. The reason? No, it's actually rather good. It's very refreshing. The reason I'm doing it is normally at this time of year, I'd be contemplating going off to Italy, uh. somewhere lovely. 
uh, Porto Ecole or somewhere down on the coast. And uh, I would be taking my family down there and I'd be going for a, for a bit of a two-week break, which is not happening this year because of the current situation that we find ourselves in. And so I thought I'd just, uh, well, you know, live the moment. At home. At home, why not? Limoncello spritz, which is limoncello, prosecco, a bit of club soda, ice, a bit of mint from the gum, and a lemon slice. I love it. You know, and I highly recommend, actually, that's a great way to, to bring in your favorite place in the world is to find out the, the, the actual cocktail from that part of the world and have it. And I think we can all remember traveling somewhere exotic, somewhere beautiful, some destination, you know, and, and having some fantastic cocktail on the beach or, or wherever it might be. And it is actually incredibly nostalgic. And I've actually done something a little different because talking about bitters, as we just did in the booze news, I decided to make myself a Sazerac. Now, are you familiar with the old Sazerac, Tom? I'm sure you are. No, no it sounds terribly risky. Well, it, it is actually incredibly risky. And, you know, I'm about to have a powerful sensation when I taste it. But the Sazerac is arguably one of the oldest branded cocktails. And it dates back to the sort of 1850s. And it is, in fact, made with rye whiskey. Uh, and it, it, it's very popular in places like New Orleans, right, where there's the Sazerac bar. But it originally was made from cognac and it changed from cognac in about 1870 uh, to a rye whiskey when there was a horrible plague that basically affected all the grapes and killed all the grapes. And they had to quickly move in order to continue to make this drink. And they swapped to rye. And I think also the Americans decided to make it their own. And, and uh, rye whiskey being very popular in America, much easier to get than cognac became the drink. But what's interesting about it, okay, is and it, it has a absinthe wash, right? Which I've not actually done an absinthe wash before, but absinthe, which was banned throughout Europe in the United States and only legalized again in America in 2007 because of apparently it's sort of hallucinogenic effects. So guys, if I lose it slightly on Jacob's turn today, you can blame the absinthe. But I, you do an absinthe wash, right? A what round the glass, you set it to a side, you actually get an, a sugar cube, um, you put uh, peno bitters, which are an, an anise bitter uh, with a bit of fennel as an undertone. Uh, you muddle that together with the, with the uh, sugar cube, you put in two jiggers of your rye whiskey, you put that over ice, you stir it thoroughly, and the Sazerac bar recommends you stir it 30 times, but ultimately you're trying to get it really cold. It's basically 10 seconds, 30 you know, stirs, whatever it might be, and then you sieve it right over into your glass, having thrown out the absinthe, and then you put a little lemon twist, and you really want to get the lemon all around the outside, and you want to squeeze it so the actual essence and oil of the lemon peel really comes out, but you don't want the pith. So you rub that all around the top. And by the way, it is quite spectacular. This is not my first. Cheers, Tom. In chin. Mm. So, moving on. I mentioned we have a fabulous guest. Very, very excited. Little drum roll, please. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone appear on my podcast looking quite so beautiful Quite so gorgeous, considering the situation. I mean, let's just get straight to it. I met our guest today in Times Square a very long time ago, donating her time and energy to 
a campaign that which, which we both believe in, the Girl Up Initiative, which is the United Nations. So you get a sense already of the kind of woman, the kind of person I'm talking about. Now, she also happens to be an incredible actress with a huge, and I mean huge, swooning fan base. Literally, like everybody just adores her. It's like slightly sickly to go through the comments. I get people who are quite rude about me, who sort of tell me that I look old and that I'm bald and that this and that and all kinds of other fun stuff. But our guest today has complete opposite. In fact, you know, I, you could even say they're slightly sycophantic, but we won't go there. Now, whether or not you watch Shadowhunters or The Arrow, you two will soon fall under her spell. Please welcome Kat McNamara. How are you, Kat? I'm good, Nigel. That was so sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> a little drum roll. I know, a little <laughs> bit, perhaps slightly over the top, but I don't think so at all, because I have ever since, literally, you are a very, very special person. And the first time we ever met, we became friends very quickly. Now, that doesn't happen very often, you know, so I think there's some magic there. Kat, what are you drinking, for goodness sakes? Today, I well, I decided because of the nature of the podcast, I'd pull out some scotch because I actually haven't been drinking very much this quarantine. And, you know, it's nice to do so with friends. Oh, absolutely. What kind of scotch are you drinking? Do you know? Uh, yeah, actually, my friend just came out with his own scotch. It's called Sassanac. It's uh, Sam Hewen from Outlander. It's his scotch. And it's actually quite good. Fantastic. You must send us some. We will, we will feature it on the Shaken and Stirred show. Cheers, by the way. Lovely to have you on. Cheers. So let's get straight to it. You mentioned the quarantine, and yes. you actually have embraced it thoroughly. In fact, I, you're one of the few people who sort of deals with it in a, in a very kind of, I guess, both humorous but real way. And are you alone during, the, that's the one thing I wanted to know, are you actually by yourself? I am. I've been by myself in my apartment for over a well over a hundred days now, and it's uh, as you know, Nigel. I'm a very social person, so I, you know I need sunshine and people to feel normal. So it's been a very strange time. So you, you mentioned social. You are very social. In fact, every time you come to New York, you always look me up or you give me a shout and say, "Oh, I'm in New York City. I'm here for Fashion Week. What are you doing? What's happening?" And 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 that's <laughs> by the way, people. Obviously, that's how one becomes friends, right? Is that you actually have to follow up. You don't just say hi, right? You do that. <laughs> But, that, but you know what? There aren't that many people I meet like you who actually understand what it means to be a friend, as in like you hang out and you want to see something. Like they, there's a lot of people in, in show business and you know, specifically who I think are fair weather friends or they're the friends that you see and they're like, hey, they do a photograph with you. And then it's sort of like, and that's it. It's, it's like, I've now seen that person, tick them off my box, and now they're going to walk in the opposite direction. They don't actually ask, <laughs> right? Right. No, they, they just want the photo op. They don't actually have any interest in finding anything about you as a person. It's, it's so silly. So you, who is Bob the quarantine boyfriend? Okay. <laughs> I mean. Yes. Bob is my boxing dummy. And uh, he's been my sole and steadfast companion throughout all of this. That all originated because I was doing the 24-hour the plays that's based out of New York. It's a, a charity function that a bunch of actors and directors and playwrights get together and do a series of short plays in 24 hours. It's now become, during quarantine, the 24-hour monologues, where they just send you a monologue and you tape it from home and they put it on their Instagram, which is so fun. But the first one I had heavily featured, I was, I was boxing and talking to this, I was talking on the phone or something, but I had the camera set up and I was slowly losing my mind at the beginning of quarantine and just did a whole soliloquy of my own, just talking to Bob. And then Bob, the quarantine boyfriend was born. There's a lot of very jealous people, you know, who are very jealous <laughs> of Bob. 
I mean, Bob doesn't just appear, Tom, not once or twice. Bob is like a regular feature now. He's like, and does all kinds of things and seems to sort of go with you around the house. He does. Well, he's my trainer. He's also my assistant when it comes to building things like treadmills. He's also, you know, been so kind as to hold the light for me when I'm doing different tapes and videos and things. He doesn't add much to the conversation, though. So I, I think we're definitely ready to see other people at this point. <laughs> That's like a perfect, perfect boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually tend to like to converse with those people that I'm seeing. And uh, he's a great listener, but not so much with the with the banter, you know? And not like you, Tom, you know, you can't it's sort of... Put it, you know, put everything on other people that you like to do. I know that you like the silent type, but that's a whole other conversation. We have, we'll get deep about that later. We won't go there. So, Kat, tell me, what, what have you been doing during quarantine, other than sort of with Bob the quarantine? What have, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been, I've been working out, obviously. I've been baking. Um, they finally opened the trails in L.A., so it's been great to sort of discover all of the hikes that I haven't gotten a chance to see. Normally, I'm traveling and I'm out of town. And But I guess the biggest gifts of quarantine are, are things like this, getting to kind of reconnect with people that are always busy and always running around. You know, my family's been having zoom family reunions every couple of weeks which we never get to do and i have a group of friends that we get on zoom every week and play mafia virtually just to kind of stay in touch and just support each other through this time but do you seriously i mean just joking aside and of course no one's listening right now but uh, just between you and me do you actually uh love the family zooms i mean i'm just i mean I, of course, adore mine, but I, they've slightly become one of those things now where all my relatives now expect them once a week. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, I actually do love them just because I have a lot of cousins that are my age and my family is just, we're, we, I have a very small family, but everybody's just super silly and just gets on and goofs off and we're always eating or doing something or there's a lot of kids too. So we're always cheering people on and all the great news that's happening and things like that. My, my cousin graduated college this year. So we had a little virtual graduation party for her and all of these things. That sounds very nice. Okay, mum, what she said, I'm just, just joking what, about what I just said. That is not true at all. I actually really, really look forward to my Zoom calls with you and my mother-in-law um, every week. Anyway, uh, what is the state of affairs in, in, in Hollywood? I mean, you know, you're, obviously your work has to have changed, has to be maybe even ground to a halt. I mean, what is going on and what, what does it look like? What does the future look like? was ground to a halt for a good long while. And I think, you know, I was working on a lot of developing of different projects and things that have kind of been just treading water any way we can creatively. Um, but actually people have found ways to start to do things. I've started to audition for things more now and, you know, some real movements been happening, but I did actually shoot a movie during quarantine without ever leaving my house. Whoa. Okay. Wait a second. What's that? Are you able to tell us? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it. Vanity Fair was lovely enough to kind of announce it for us and do a little feature. But it's basically two of my friends, one of whom's an amazing horror director and the other who's an actor and also a writer. They were sick of sitting around and said, you know what, we're going to write a movie for our friends and shoot it over Zoom. And they figured out a way to rig it. And that's, you know, they taught me how to light everything. So I actually have gear now to do that for things like this. Um, but it was probably the most stressful and 
terrifying filming situation because not only was I acting and doing all of the things I normally do, but I was also lighting every shot. I was setting up the camera. I was transferring the files at the end of the night. I was setting up the sound and the microphone and props and set decoration and hair and makeup and doing fake bruises and all of these other things. And uh, I learned so much and thank God for our director of photography who walked us through all the technical stuff. But it was, it was pretty insane. That's totally nuts. In fact, I'm, I'm sort of thinking to myself, in times like this, I mean, obviously, you're used to having a makeup artist, you're used to having a stylist. Normally, all everything is taken, you just do your line, you know, you learn your lines, you learn your part, you get into character, you go on set, you get the director tells you what's sort of, you know, action and all the rest of it, and you do your thing. But right now, you're a bit like a sort of one man band. You know, <laughs> obviously, there's a director watching you, but you know, through a zoom, it's not exactly the same. Do you no. feel that you've learned things now that you that perhaps don't need certain people around you to do certain things like you can now do it by yourself you feel better about it I feel better about it in the sense that I mean I've always been one to appreciate a crew and and that's kind of why I love doing what I do because whether it's a photo shoot or a film set or a tv show or anything it's one of the only industries left that you really do need all of the experts in all of the departments to make it to make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. And I think if anything else, I feel like knowledge is and education are always good things. So now I know more how to help the other experts and to not be a hindrance, I guess, in, in certain aspects. But no, I definitely need a crew. I miss a crew. I, I miss every single, I just miss the camaraderie of set. It's, it's kind of lonely doing it all on your own. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I, I, I also think that, you know, maybe you're being diplomatic. I don't know. But, um, you know, you are incredibly charming. And no, no, she's saying no. She's shaking her head and saying, absolutely not. And how can you deny her? Because she looks so, you know, right now I can see why you, this, you look so amazing. I mentioned how amazing she looked right at the top. And now we know why. Professional lighting, hair and makeup. Sorry, I was just saying, Kat, right now you're in serious. I mean, Nigel knows you're alone. You've been alone for 100 days. And the way he's carrying on, you know, you might, if there's a knocking at your door tomorrow, then I, I don't know. How depressed are you, Nigel? They just shut LA down again. Very, very depressed. But what have we got? LA, New York, and London right here, right now, don't we? <laughs> it's just a mess. It's the just a mess. a mess. The world is a mess. It's a total mess. Okay, so, I, you know, it, it's very interesting what's happening. That The industry's changed dramatically. Your industry, my industry, we've worked together. I've photographed you now, and that was an absolute joy. And you are, for sure, an incredible collaborator. And that's what you're getting at. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, the... the acting world as well as any creative world is almost always a collaboration of people and minds and what have you you've been doing this for some time you've been in the business for a while and you're still you're young am i correct by saying you're 24 right now yeah. mm -hmm. which is for some reason i mean that doesn't shock me but we met years ago i know i think we met when i was maybe 19 Right. And it seems like even longer. But for me, you know, when I think about you and I think about actresses who start so young, you, you almost have to be a prodigy. You have to be something very unusual. It's not easy to, to get into acting and to understand all the lines, to be able to, to get yourself in character when you're so young. What was it like starting that young and how young were you when you actually first started? Well, I didn't, you know, before I was an actor, I wanted to be an economist. So my entire life, I spent dreaming of 
going into developmental economics and doing all of that. So I never, ever expected to be here. <laughs> Actually, when I was a kid, I used to get two magazines in the mail. I used to get Teen Vogue and The Economist, and I was equally excited for both of them. Um, that's how much of a nerd I am. But <laughs> I, I started doing theater when I was about 12 or 13. And uh, from the moment I stepped on stage on my first opening night, I knew that I had to be a storyteller for the rest of my life. And that is undeniably what I was put on the earth to do. And I've just been lucky enough to have kept finding opportunities to keep doing that. You know, I, I never thought I'd leave Kansas City because they have such a huge, incredible theater community there that I thought I would just work there for the rest of my life. But I, I happened to get a random audition for a Broadway show in New York and I'd never been to New York. So I thought, well, you know, I'm probably never going to have this opportunity again to go to New York and audition for a Broadway show. So why not? And a week later, I was living in New York working on said Broadway show. And that's just kind of been the, the course of my career and of my life is just saying yes to these opportunities that arise and letting the universe take its course. But um, yeah, I, I think as far as kind of staying grounded and maintaining any semblance of sanity through all of that has just been about keeping the people that are real close and, and seeking out those people that are the genuine grounded people, which is not always easy to do in this industry. No, no. You talk about keeping the important people close. Even on our shoot, your mother showed up. And, you know, which, of course, reminds me very quickly of, of perhaps just how old you are or just perhaps how close your mother is, you know. And, and, and it's funny, but I'm also someone who's very close to my family. In fact, on America's Next Top Model, I, my wife, Chrissy, came on the show multiple times. My mother came on the show as well. And we brought everyone. I brought pretty much as many members of the family as I could possibly could onto the show. It's, it's funny. That was actually a very rare instance. Um, my, my mom is a scientist and she's so shy. She doesn't like coming to set. I practically had to drag her there that day, but it's mostly just because I wanted you two to meet because I adore you. And obviously I adore my mother and she, we have a lot of family in New Jersey and she happened to be there. And so she was going to come visit me for the day anyway. And, you know, thank you for being kind enough to, to let her come and visit and hang out in the background. On the contrary, I thought it was wonderful. And she was, it's, it's always really really nice actually and there's an element of my favorite kind of scenarios that really are, are the most grounded real ones that I those are the ones that I remember forever right those are the, the shoots and the you know even the films are the ones which remind me of of real life of, of not the sort of they, you know for example when you meet a star or you meet a celebrity or you meet someone who's who's well known it's very easy to get distracted by the fame very easy to get distracted by you know the sort of everything that's going on around them, the entourage, the, the PR, the everything else. And of course, you have publicists and we dealt with them talking, you know, trying to organize everything. And, you know, and that often is the case is that you have to deal with those sorts of people. But then all of a sudden your mom is there and you're very personable and, and everyone, you know, then you're just real. And I think that is, is what is the sort of the magic really behind and finding someone who you believe in, someone who you trust, someone who you therefore kind of can love and all the rest of it. Those are the sort of special moments. And I, I, I was very impressed. And, you know, you say she doesn't come too often, but um, you should bring her more often. You should have her around. <laughs> Well, I would like to, but she gets so shy and it's just because it's not her, you know, she's used to being in a, a lab, right? She's not used to being on a set full of people and lights and wardrobe and things like that. So that's why she only stopped by for a few minutes just to say hello. And because I, I said I wanted her to meet you and all of those things. But, um, but it was really, really kind of you to let her come. 
So who manages you or who managed you when you were young then? Was not your mom, yourself? Oh, it was me. Yeah. My it's funny because my mom having this not be kind of her world, and she never wanted to ever be perceived as one of the, one of quote unquote those stage moms, as it were, because that's the farthest thing from who she is. So she always let it be my thing. And I, you know, I was a very precocious kid. I spoke to every agent, every casting director, manager, any person I ever dealt with. It was always my business because I had wanted to go into business first of all, anyway. And that's sort of, that's what I went to school for. That's what I went to university for. I've been able to manage my career like a business as well as in a creative sense. Wow. Now that, that's totally shocking. I had no idea about that whatsoever. That's for me, I think that's really rather special. I mean, I've photographed and worked with Taylor Swift multiple times. And obviously her mom has been her manager for many, many years and what have you, and was always present at all the shoots uh, at every event, picking every picture, you know, looking at every detail. And that's often the case with, you know, young performers who, because, you know, ultimately, how do you, as a young performer, you know, you really only trust often your parents to, to, to really have your back. It's very easy as a, as a kid. And you worked with, on the Disney Channel at some point, didn't you? That was your start. What was that yeah. like? What was that like, Work, you know, coming out of that stable, if you like? I had the best of both worlds in that sense because I... Um, it's actually what brought me to L.A. When they first tried to do High School Musical, the series, eight years ago or whatever it was, almost 10 at this point... I was part of the original cast of that where the, it was like a one hour pilot and it was one of their first single camera shows. And we did this entire pilot shoot. We had four musical numbers. It was fantastic. And one of my favorite jobs ever, and especially coming from New York, you know, it, it's, it's funny to look back on the people that were in that as well. Like there's people from that pilot scattered all over from, so you think you can dance to, you know, uh, shows on the CW now. And even like um, Beanie Feldstein, who's been killing it in the feature film world for the last several years she played my best friend on the show and it's it's been amazing to kind of track these people and see where they've all gone but and then after that I, I was under contract for Disney Channel for a long time they were trying to find a show for me but that was also the year the economy tanked so instead of ending up with my own show for several years I sort of bounced around and did I played a bunch of mean girls honestly on Disney Channel I never played a nice person but I did multiple like Disney Channel original movies and guest star recurring roles and things like that and um, but what was so great about that is it really is a family and they take care of you like the the president of Disney Channel wrote a letter of recommendation for grad school for me you know there's so many people that have they just take care of you and the kids I'm still in touch with to this day and it really becomes a family yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, they are very much a sort of, it, it's sort of almost like, a, like I said, it's a stable in as much as, you know, the, the talent that comes out of there. I said there are so many amazing sort of performers, athletes, I mean, not athletes, musicians, who, rather, who, who come out of, of, of Disney and you, you're just like, you don't realize it until you sort of look back in their history and you're like, oh, wait a second, they were they're a, they're a Disney prodigy. That's where they started. That's where they came out of. I always, yeah. I'm always sort of surprised by that. Um, you, you know, you have, and you're very active on social media and, you know, you have this sort of huge fan base. How many millions of people do you have now have on Instagram? I don't know. It's getting upwards to four at this point, which still astounds me. When did you sort of get involved with that? I mean, obviously everyone's on social media, but you are very active. Your fan base is very active. When did you first start? How long does it take to get a 4 million, fo 4 million followers? Goodness. <laughs> 
I started actually because when I was doing the, the High School Musical, the series pilot, they wanted us all to get social media platforms so that we could start promoting things and talking about the show as the buzz was beginning. And I, I probably would have never had social media had it not been for work. But I've actually come to really enjoy it given that I've had a very positive experience, you know, through the Maze Runner fandom and then the Shadowhunters fandom and the Arrow fandom, they are, they have all been so kind. And, and particularly, I always talk about the Shadowhunters fandom because they call them the Shadow fam. I call them angels because they truly are. They, not only have they been so kind to all of us and, and given the show a real chance, even given the departures from the book and everything and really come on this journey to support all of us, they support each other. And they have gone beyond the show, beyond the characters, beyond any of the actors, and they've created a community for each other where no matter who you are or what you are or who you love or what you connect with, you can truly be yourself and be accepted for that. And I think especially in, in a world such as social media where things can actually be very negative, it's so nice to see that kind of light and that safe space for people. That, that's, it's not, that's not normal, though, right, with, with all shows. Like, that's certain shows. Why was that show, why did that happen to that show? What, was it, what is it about it? There's something special about the story of Shadowhunters because at its core, in the end, once you go through the whole series and look back at it, the message is really that love makes you stronger. And, and no matter whether you have, you know, in our show, angel blood or demon blood or what kind of creature you are or who you love, you are worthy of love. And you it's the choices that you make that make you a hero or a villain, not what you're born with. And I think that is such a, a specific message that because it's a supernatural show, people can use that and look at their own lives and their own problems a little bit more objectively and find a community through that. And there was so much diversity in the show in every respect it sort of allowed everyone a way to connect with the story there you go tom demon blood and you're still loved you know there's a chance for you <laughs> what do you think no it's, it's these instagram numbers are numbers you can only dream of i mean you know he's asking you he's, a, he's asking you very attentively how do you get up to that kind of, that, that hello. Kind of numbers you know, hello he's been trying for years and also he started his career managing himself by the way i don't know if you, you know this but he spent the first five years of his modeling career modeling underpants. I did not know that, but I am amazed. And hats off to you for that, Nigel. That's incredible. What do you mean you're amazed? For goodness sakes, have you not seen? <laughs> no, I mean, that's not an easy job. Like, more power to you. I think that's incredible. Like, I. Okay, okay. What's okay. Like your bicep got to do with, with wearing underpants? God's sake. <laughs> Well, you know, it matters. It, matters. it, it trust me, it matters. <laughs> I would pull my shirt off, but I wouldn't want to, you know, break Zoom or something. You know. Anyway, <laughs> but we, I talked about swooning fans. This is just it. This is what I'm talking about. I'm, I wasn't joking. Your fan base, as you just mentioned, are extraordinary, and I think now you're sort of explaining it because you know, I, you know, you can say something like, "Oh, she has swooning fans." You can say, "Well, of course, everyone's fans are swooning," but there is something very specific about your your, your fan base. And when I we worked together and I posted a picture or two of the shoot that we did and what have you. And it was, that was what was so interesting. And I think everyone is fascinated with social media right now. So this is a very relevant conversation because the pictures I posted were then reposted by dozens, if not tens or maybe more of your fans in multiple platforms all over the place, taking every behind the scenes. I mean, are they stalking? Are they just, I mean, what is the deal with that? 
they're supportive and that's what's so great is they're genuinely excited and I've you know I've had the pleasure of going around the world for years to different comic cons and actually meeting these people in person and they really are just genuinely excited to see everybody doing whatever it is that they want to do whatever makes them happy whether it's somebody from the cast like me getting to shoot with somebody amazing like you or whether it's a fan artist who is now selling their artwork on Etsy and has a fabulous career because the fans have made their work go viral. It, it, it goes, you know, whatever extent, even when, you know, I, I stalk the fans on social media because I love them and I want to check in on them and see how they're doing. But even, you know, when somebody graduates school or, or has a good day or a bad day, you just see these streams of tweets of everybody just being there for each other. And it's such a unique thing. And that's why I'll do anything for these kids because I call them kids. They're not kids, but I feel like they're my kids. Um, but because they, <laughs> they've created this lovely little bubble. And I just, I think that's so beautiful. Tell me about Comic-Con because that is, it's, it's, it's one of those sort of phenomenons, right? And it's all over the world. Tell us about it. Because I think everyone is slightly fascinated. Those who, who know, know, but everyone else is like slightly terrified. It is one of the most enthralling, exhausting, and fulfilling things that you can ever do. My first experience was New York Comic Con, actually. We had just wrapped the first season of Shadowhunters the evening before. We all jumped on a plane and flew straight in, and the next morning we were just sort of shoved into New York Comic Con. And our show hadn't even come out yet. People hadn't even seen any of it. And right before our panel, we got to watch the, the first seven minutes of the show from behind the screen and hear our sold out panel audience reacting to it for the first time and then go on stage and talk about it. But ultimately my favorite part of Comic-Con is getting to be one-on-one -on -one with the fans and get to meet them and talk to them and hear their stories of what they connect with or why they love the show or what they don't like about the show or just things they want to ask or talk about it, it to have people who care as much about the show as we care about the show and the characters and everything else. It's just, it's astounding to sort of witness. And the other thing I love about San Diego Comic-Con, for example, or New York Comic-Con, where it's multiple different shows all in one place, I'm also a huge fan of things. And everybody who's there is not only working, meeting the people that love what they do, but they're also getting to meet people whose work they love. And so everybody's kind of on the level playing field. And it's, it's just fascinating to kind of get to be in this world of just nerding out over everything. I could just imagine a, a cocktail con, just a, a huge <laughs> drunk ramble, Tom. We need to start it. It'd be That's amazing. That's pretty much all it is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds fabulous. I mean, I, I, it sounds incredibly exhausting at the same time. And I've never done anything like that. But I have done, you know, meet and greet type of scenarios where people come over and say hi, you do a photograph and what have you. And that kind of thing can be very, very, I don't know, uh, exhausting because you're having to do small talk with lots of people that you don't necessarily know. Now, how is that going to change, do you think, now that with, with COVID? I mean, what's going to happen to those sorts of events, do you think? Well, what we've been doing in the meantime is there's been a fair few virtual Comic-Cons where we'll be on Zoom in a situation very similar to this, where we'll either be on a big panel and people can ask their questions, or it'll be one-on-one -on -one or groups or smaller kind of things where we're doing what we can to still stay connected with these communities and, and to be there for people. But what I really miss about it are the 
the photo ops and the things where, you know, we'll, we'll put music in the corner and just dance and do silly poses and just make people laugh and have a good time. And it, it just feels like a big party. I'm just getting to spend time with people who are all there for, you know, celebrating this story. But, you know, I, I hope we'll be able to get back to it eventually once there's a vaccine and once people can sort of have some sort of stability of health in the world again, because I genuinely do miss all of that. No, of course, I can only imagine. So I would love to know, and I think everyone would, because it's it's always great to have some kind of takeaway. And you know, speaking to someone like yourself, to be able to like to actually kind of go a little deeper into how you became and how you are who you are, in, in as much as the sort of audition process and the casting process for you, do you still have to do that, or are parts just being offered to you? Or and what what is that like? Talk us through a little bit about what it's like to audition and. Do you get rejected? Do people say, no, it's not, you're not right? Or, I mean, how does that work for you? All the time. And that's honestly the biggest part of being an actor is you will always hear more no's than you will yeses, no matter who you are and no matter how established you become. I had somebody very close to me at the beginning of my career present it to me in a very specific perspective. They, they pulled me aside and they said, look, an actor's job is to audition. And you go in that room and for 10 minutes, that's your job. And you do what you love and that's your performance. And then you walk out the door and you leave it. That's it. It's done. It's over. You forget about it. And if it comes back to you, if it's meant to be, that's special and that's something else entirely. And so I've always looked at it from that perspective and, and I don't take it personally. You know, occasionally there will be jobs that you want so much and so desperately want to do these jobs and they don't always go your way and that's just the nature of it and those are harder than others but ultimately i I have a little bit of both at this point i will have some things that are that come in and i'll have uh but most of the time i do have to audition and i kind of love it because you get a chance to be on your toes and and you know we don't have this anymore but there were times during pilot season in Los Angeles where I would pack my car at eight in the morning with four different outfits and four different scripts and wouldn't get home till more than 12 hours later, just running around all day in my, my mobile dressing room that my car had become figuring it out and being on my toes and barely having time to read or learn anything and just kind of going on instinct. But that's sort of the fun of it. No, it's so, so insane as, as well. I mean, it's just, you, you realize that you know, rejection is, is such a massive a part, part of the actual business, being able to handle rejection, being able to deal with it. You know, one always imagines there's a fair amount of depression in Hollywood too, just because of the, there's so many no's and very few yeses. You know, and whenever you go there, you know, you can't help but meet bartender or a waitress or somebody working. And when you ask them what they're doing, they're really sort of, they're almost auditioning you the menu, you know, or something. Yeah, it's sort exactly. Of, all parts of it. I mean, you know, but of course they're not, it's very hard to get a job. They're all trying to make it. I've got friends of mine who their entire, they spent five or six, seven years in Hollywood trying to become an actor, never succeeding. I mean, simply just not getting there. You know, that's, that's tough. I, I would love to know about your, I mean, I've seen you obviously on social media rehearsing or learning parts or even like learning sort of archery or whatever it might be. Like you, you really go for it. What is the most grueling role you've had? I guess the most grueling and the most fun was probably Shadowhunters because we were training all the time. I was boxing like five times a week or doing martial arts or training or anything at any opportunity I had. Even, you know, between scenes, we would run back to the stunt room and get in a quick boxing session or go do some kicks on the bag or something. And inevitably, I'm you know, one of those actors that wants to do as many of my own stunts as I can and wants to learn as much as I can. And 
there there wasn't a day or a week or an episode where I wasn't covered in blood or mud or rain or snow or underwater or covered in sweat from fighting or tears or whatever it was. But those are the kind of jobs you want. When you really, really love storytelling, you want to get in there and you want to be in the trenches with the crew and with the cast and with everybody else, because then you get to really live it and you get to go through these experiences together and you come out the other side a family and stronger for it. You know, it's, <laughs> I always go back to the, the under, I did, I did a full day of underwater shooting for Shadowhunters, which was insane now that I think about it. You know, we get our little bit of scuba training to be able to do it and then cut to me in a diving pool for eight hours straight. By the way, it was a saltwater pool and I was supposed to sink to the bottom and act like I was drowning. So I had to put, not only was I in a leather jacket and boots and jeans and all of this other gear, I had to put weights in my boots and around my waist just so I would sink. And then sink to the bottom, then drown with the weights on, do all the stuff. And then when I was completely out of breath, swim back to the surface and do it all over again for eight hours. So that was insanely grueling. And I've never been so tired in my life. But I loved every minute of it. And it turned out beautifully. And it was worth every second. You know, when I photographed you, it was incredibly cold. And I, <laughs> and I remember being just like, you know, all the time thinking, God, we've got to, we're going to make sure she's warm enough. She's, and you were really into it. Now you were like, and even your, you know, I looked at your managers or your the PR who were there. I'm like trying to apologize. I'm like, I'm really sorry. It's really, really cold. But you yourself said, no, no, it's fine. And you kind of got into it. You embraced the cold and you made it a part of your character. And do you find that these sort of hard experiences actually help the acting experience as, as far as help you be, you know, because you don't have to perhaps act as much. You can just literally react. They certainly can. And, and that definitely, definitely played into the shoot that day, but it's so worth it because those pictures were so incredible. Thank you. And, and the location was gorgeous. So how can we not do that? But, um, but yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely factors in. I, I think back to some of my favorite experiences on different shows. And a lot of it is because it happened to, you know, it happened to rain that day and we were doing a fight that was supposed to be grass, but it turned out to be mud. And, you know, the sky was kind of gloomy and my wardrobe was completely covered and so was I, but it looked so much cooler in the end. And it just added so much to it. And you just really are sitting in mud all day and living it. And it's, uh, it, it adds another element that you wouldn't otherwise have if it was, you know, completely encapsulated. No, no, sure. I can totally imagine that. And what about sort of more difficult things? Are there things that you haven't enjoyed doing? Have there been acting experiences or just things that are really awkward? I don't know. One always imagines sort of love scenes and what have you like. It'd be just really tough. <laughs> Well, this is the thing you have to understand about me, and I'm sure you already do. I'm a stubborn optimist, so I will find the silver lining in just about any situation. Um, and yes, things are often awkward. I'm also a very awkward individual, so I'm used to turning into the skid and just making it work. But that's that. It's funny that you bring that up, especially now in the time of COVID. Right. People think that you know love scenes or any kind of intimate, romantic anything is actually romantic, but more often than not, it's the most awkward and clinical thing you'll ever do because you have, you know, a 30 person crew and a camera five inches from your face and people, you know, kind of yelling and trying to figure out how to make the shot look good. And then you're somehow trying to, to be smooth and like in the moment and romantic. And it's just, it's not, but 
that's sort of why I, I feel like I'm very lucky to have worked with a lot of people that I genuinely enjoy spending time with and have a genuinely very close friendship with, because then you can just laugh your way through those moments and figure it out and somehow make it look good. What is the trick? Do you, are you one of those actors who has to totally get into the part and literally fall in love with your co-star if you're going to love them? Or is you for that moment? No, you're saying no. Tell us why. Because I, mean, I imagine if you're a method actor, you have, you're really into the part or you are the part, right? Yeah. So what is the difference? I think for me is that, you know, especially the, the roles that I've done, I've been fortunate to work on TV shows that have gone for multiple seasons. And the characters have their own relationships that you get to live out. So it sort of creates a history and a relationship between these two characters that you've both actually lived through as you've shot all of these scenes. And then suddenly the characters themselves kind of have their own mannerisms with each other and their own kind of way of being and occupying space. And you kind of fall into patterns. And, you know, when you're working with someone, you spend enough time with them. There's a certain kind of love that comes from that just from spending time together and seeing so much of a person's life and seeing them at 5am when that's the beginning of your day or 5am when that's the end of your day and somehow managing to get through it and support each other together and that's you know I'm very very fortunate to have worked with incredible people that have become some of the closest people in my life that kind of helps because when you have a good-natured person that you're working with you can't help but just have a closeness whether even if it's not romantic and that kind of plays that kind of connection and chemistry plays on screen no matter if you're playing sisters or their you know siblings or best friends or boyfriend and girlfriend no no totally and, and but i think it is one of those questions where you know i think a lot of people are like even my daughter who desperately would love to be an actor but she grows up has, has often looked at movies and said to me but dad how did they how did they kiss how did that happen and then looked at me and like <laughs> would you be okay if I kissed somebody? You know, and she's only 11, right? But th there is that sort of side to you like, well, you know, it's only, they're only acting. Just, but yeah. it looks real. And I'm like, well, well yes, I'm like, sort of. I mean, they are kissing, I guess. But, you know, but it's, so it's a, that, it's a legitimate. I think a lot of people are sort of wondering how, what one goes through, you know, mentally. Or is there such a thing as a stage kiss? Do you have to, is that something one can learn? Is that something that's taught? Not that I've ever learned. But I don't know, maybe I'm doing it wrong. But no, honestly, it's a sort of vulnerability that comes with when you work with someone, you're obviously going to end up doing emotional scenes and, and you sort of have to be vulnerable emotionally to all of the ups and downs. And when you do that with someone, when you're literally looking in a person's eyes, either crying or yelling or opening up in any kind of emotional way, it brings you closer together. And that plays into things when if they get romantic at any point. And, and the, the actual kiss itself ends up being the most technical thing in the world because it's talked about a million times and you're very aware of where the light is and where your mark is and the timing of things. And, you know, I, I even had a scene where two characters were kissing for the first time and they wanted to do this sweeping steady cam shot that was circling around us to just make this moment. And in order to do that, we had to do a very long take of the camera circling us and us just kissing with the director across the room yelling, switch, switch, for us to literally switch the position of our heads, which, I mean, just really makes the romance come alive, you know? That's hilarious. <laughs> brilliant, that's a brilliant way of describing um, uh, on-screen kisses. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, you just made it sound like literally the least sexiest thing ever. 
And it really is. And that's what honestly brings people closer together personally, because it's just, it's funny at that point. And it's awkward and it's weird, but it looks real and it looks beautiful. And that's sort of the, you know, I'm sure you know this too, Nigel, that's the illusion of what we do is we do all of these crazy, silly things that you wouldn't even imagine to create something beautiful. And that's just kind of how it goes. No, 100%. And, you know, and obviously there's an element of sort of paying devil's advocate, you know, certainly when you're, when you're speaking to someone or asking them, you know, because obviously there's a lot of things that we go through. And I remember even in my own sort of when I was much, much younger and I was modeling, in fact, that I got the part for a, um, a perfume called Eruption. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eruption. <laughs> and I had to tango dance with, with this model on what was going to become a volcano, but it was a green screen. And we had to learn to tango dance. And then it was the same thing where we're tangoing the whole time and it, the volcano is erupting behind us. And the director was sort of shouting again, like, like you said, switch, turn, move, turn, kiss, dip, hug, kiss. It was, it was really kind of weird. And at the end, it looked like we were sort of crazy in love. And it's the most cheesiest commercial you've ever seen. But at the very end, it sort of goes, eruption. Eruption for men, <laughs> eruption for women. And, you know, and it, I'm like, oh, really? God, that's gross. <laughs> Why not? You know, it, see, it sounds beautiful and, and quite fitting for the perfume. Oh, oh, thank so, you. Quite fitting. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I've never heard of eruption, so it clearly didn't work, whatever they were trying to do. <laughs> Oh, don't you just love him? Isn't he just charming? That's why we do this. I have keep him in England. I keep him in the UK. I'm in New York. And we try to get our guests as far away as possible, which is why it works so well that you're in LA. That way we can't actually slap him very easily. Oh, I love it. Oh, Tommy boy, I, I, I adore you. So, <laughs> Kat, tell me about this. You don't just act. You sing as well. Do you dance I do. You sing, you dance. This is like classic old school, which is the reason why I, went, I go back to you being a prodigy sort of actor, because this is like old school, back in the day, actors have to sing, dance, and perform and do everything. You know, what yeah. do you like most? What is, where's your heart at? I mean, for me, I, I started as a dancer and that's kind of, you know, I just did ballet as a hobby. And that's actually how I even started acting in the first place. I ran into a family friend who needed a dancer in a community theater show. And I was the kid who would try anything once. So I was like, sure, why not? Let's do something fun for the summer or do something different. And I fell in love with it. Um, but for me, I... I always think about myself as a chameleon. You know, I never try and be stuck in one thing for too long. You know, that's my favorite thing about characters is getting to completely transform myself into them. And that's why I try and bounce around between film and television and music and theater and everything because they're all different sets of muscles. And the more you change things up and the more you keep yourself constantly learning and on your toes and not too comfortable, the more you're going to learn and grow as an artist and as a human. And that's, that's always my goal is just to keep learning and keep growing and to never be stuck. Wow. You know, there aren't many people who could do that. I'm, I'm actually friends with Hugh Jackman. And, you know, he's one of those actors as well, who is just extraordinary on stage, on Broadway, in movies, action, you know, sensitive one moment, a Wolverine the next, you know, just sort of all over the place. I mean, yeah. do you have aspirations of doing certain movies? Are there certain types of roles that you sort of long for that you haven't had yet? I'm dying to do a little bit of everything, honestly. That's that's sort of a promise I made to myself at the beginning of my career is that 
also to work with Hugh Jackman also. So, you know. Right, there that. you go. I'll put that out there. I'll tell him about that. Okay. Thank you. Um, no, but to, to sort of do a little bit of everything and to not get stuck in one thing. You know, I'm dying to do a period piece. Like, throw me in a corset and a hoop skirt and I'll be a happy girl. Or, you know, I want to do a good horror movie and I want to go back and do more action stuff. And even just to be in a drama with people just talking about being human in a room with no special effects and no fighting would be astounding. Or comedy, I miss doing comedy. It's been so long since I've done that as well. You know, there's just so many different things that I'm dying to do, even getting behind the camera. So it's I, I'm just constantly trying to learn and grow and figure out what I can do next. When we were um, working together, you were at, the, at that moment about to work or had just worked on Stephen King's The Stand. Yeah. So what, how did that go? Because I think you were just about to do it. You're, you know, everyone was very excited. And when's that coming out? When can we see it? I hope that it's coming out this year. It was supposed to come out this year before the pandemic, before everything happened. So hopefully we'll get to see that and they'll be able to do post-production virtually, as it were. It, it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. I mean, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, so I'm very biased when it comes to that. But I just give such credit to the whole production because everybody went all out and just the sets they created and the wardrobe and the hair and makeup and everybody was so dedicated to giving every every opportunity for the the story to be told in the best way and the cast was also just incredible just getting to be on set and witness all of these amazing people do what they do best uh, and even the things that i i wasn't party to i'm i'm the bad guys camp so i spent most of my time playing with you know nat wolf and alexander skarsgård who are two of my favorite individuals but then you know there's james marsden and whoopi goldberg and all these incredible people in this in this project and i i'm just i'm floored and i can't wait to see it. No, I think none of us can. I think everyone is very, very excited. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, just your enthusiasm and everyone, and even the cast, like you mentioned, it's an all-star cast. So congratulations on that. And we'll look out for it for sure. I play an absolutely awful human being in it. So I, I would say that I'm definitely the example of the person not to be in the apocalypse, as it were. There you go. The, the person not to be. But I mean, may, maybe that's, you said you, you started off by doing a lot of roles where you were sort of the sort of bitchy girl or me oh, yeah. girl. So is that something that you've, you've done? You do pretty well, obviously. So that, that's, you know, you're being some typecast a little bit, maybe. I guess. I hope that doesn't say anything about who I am as a person. <laughs> not at all. You're the complete opposite. Clearly you're a very good actress because I would never have any idea. Oh, thank you. There you go. So before we let you go, Kat, because you've been amazing, you've been very generous uh, and really sort of shared a lot about what, how, who you are and, and, and what you do. I have, we have a little thing called Last Orders, uh, which is sort of rapid fire uh, questions. Are you, are you up for that? I'm so ready. Let's do it. Okay, because I have known you as uh, both a beautiful uh, redhead Sorry, Tom, I'm not talking about you. Um, and, and you are actually right now a blonde, although Tom is actually looking like a blonde as well. Your f- the first question is, blonde or ginger? I would have to say ginger, because those are my roots, and I miss it. I've been blonde for a long time, so I'm, I'm missing the ginge. <laughs> well done. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> missing the ginge. Wow, that's an expression I'm going to have to coin. Wow. <laughs> Missing the ginge. In fact, whenever I miss you, Tom, that's what I'm going to say. I'm missing the ginge. (laughs) Thank you for that, Kat. I'm never going to forget it. Brilliant. All right, next up. If you could only drink one cocktail for the rest of your life, what would it be? Scotch neat. 
Really? Scotch? Yep. And why is that? I've always loved it. It's something, I don't know, maybe it's the good Irish girl in me, but uh, it's, you know, I, I learned to drink from the boys on Shadowhunters and started on whiskey. And then I transferred over to scotch one day at, at one of my cast members' behest. And I've just always loved it ever since then. The smokier, the better. Oh, look at you. Smokier, <laughs> the better. Okay. I will, I will just take that as it is. Uh, what superpower would you want if you could have any? I would want the power to heal. Um, I've always sort of said it jokingly because I'm super klutzy and fall all the time and I'm covered in bruises constantly or whatnot. But I think in this world today, it's something that a lot of people forget about and something that we really need right now. I love the fact you took that really, really seriously and was literally transferred it into as if it's about to happen, which I just think is amazing because clearly I need to work on, you know, a fantasy show where I would end up believing that these things are possible. You're talking like Wolverine then, like, sort of like the power he has to heal when he gets sort of shot or something. Yeah, myself or others, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I quite like that as well, actually. We may have to share that superpower. Okay, time travel or teleport? Teleport. I miss traveling so much. <laughs> if only we could teleport. I always say that's the one thing that they had on Star Trek, right, which they haven't invented. Everything else on Star Trek has come true except for beam me up, Scotty. Okay, finally, shaken or stirred? Oh, well, I think I have to go the James Bond route and say shaken, not stirred. Ooh, shaken, not stirred. There you go. By the way, James Bond had no idea how to make a martini. He had other skills. <laughs> Complete voice. I know he had a few other skills, didn't he? Um, Kat McNamara, thank you so much for coming on Shaken and Stirred. You are amazing. Please follow Kat on Instagram. It's Kat McNamara, right? That's as simply as. as it's cat.mcnamara. Cat.mcnamara. There you go. But quite frankly, if you put in Kat and McNamara, you're going to find her anyway because everyone else has like got two followers and she's got like millions and millions. <laughs> And what have you. So just Google her for God's sakes and follow everything that she does and look out for her movie, The Stand by Stephen King. It's amazing. Thank you, Nigel. This was Shaken and Stirred. We love you all listening in on the show and follow us on at Shaken and Stirred on Instagram. Check out our latest cocktail and take care of yourselves. All the best. <laughs>